So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians 1 as we explore this whole theme of a life worth living. And uh, I, I was saying the way I want to approach Philippians is in terms of helping us build um, healthy mental well-being. Healthy mental well-being. And, and how do we deal with the ups and downs of life? Because we know that life will have ups and downs. Not everything is going to go your way throughout life. And those of us who are older could readily tell you that. And, and, and I believe that Philippians gives us some of the principles and lessons as we look at how Paul dealt with the ups and downs of his life to come out in this affirmative, positive pattern of Christian living that was to inspire others. And, and, and so as we read this letter, I, I want us to grapple with that. How do we become those positive patterns of Christian living in our life? There was a study done uh, a few years back, and they were looking at the 10 most influential books of the 20th century in the United States of America. I don't know what books you would stick onto that list. But there was one surprising book that was there, which was by a man called Viktor Frankl. And Fr Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. He had been held in a concentration camp, and while he had been there, he had observed those inmates who lived and those who died. And as a psychologist and psychiatrist, he was fascinated by the psychological dynamics in a concentration camp. I wouldn't imagine if I was there, I'd probably be reflecting on this, but he did. And, uh, and after he got out of the concentration camp in 1946, he wrote up his findings about how you were to survive that environment or how those who survived that environment were mentally. The book was, in English, it was entitled Man's Search for Meaning, although its German title was much better, which was, nevertheless, say yes to life. <laughs> and uh, I, th I think that's a brilliant title. Nevertheless, say yes to life. And, and I kind of think that the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning could have that title. You see, Frankel discovered that the way a prisoner imagined the future affected his or her longevity. In other words, hope was a constituent part of whether you survived in a concentration camp or not. A remarkable finding because you would think, surely your psychological well-being had no factor in your longevity in a concentration camp. But he believed that fundamentally how you envisaged the future had bearing. And, and he said those who did not have hope, did not have a sense of purpose and meaning in the context. They tended to go through three stages. They went through shock, they went through apathy, and they went through a moral deformity and bitterness. Actually, it began to change people's character when they lost hope, and they became bitter, they became negative, and they actually then started to translate that into patterns of behavior that he describes as moral deformity. He says those who survived were those who believed that life never ceases to have meaning, even in suffering and death. 
Paul in the passage that we're going to look at, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1, wants to affirm this idea. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This seems a, a kind of remarkable claim to be making. What has happened to me has advanced the gospel. There was a, a situation in the 1980s where the British embassy in Beirut was stormed. There was a civil war going on. Some of you may remember it uh, going on in Beirut. And, and the British embassy was actually stormed. And uh, they had managed to link up an interview with the ambassador. And uh, he kind of was in an underground bunker. And uh, there had been all these threats against his life. The, the embassy had been ransacked. There were bombs going off outside. He had no electricity, no running water. Uh, things were looking really bleak. And he was there with his family in this bunker. And in a great statement of English understatement, he said to the interviewer, one is feeling a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, this is, this is kind of Paul, uh, the, the, the actual, uh, the, the Greek actually says, what has happened to me? He just says, what has happened to me? Paul had just gone through a whole series of traumatic experiences. It had begun in Jerusalem as he'd gone to the temple, just gone to church to worship. You know, I just want to be here and be quiet and be left alone and worship my God and, and, and do my service. And, and while he was there, he was accused on the temple platform of, of bringing a whole series of uh, Gentiles into areas that he wasn't meant to. And this caused a riot. And, and again, the, these weren't pleasant riots. Paul was at the center of hundreds, if not thousands, of people being for his blood. Don't know if you've ever been in a riot, but they're fairly traumatic. And if you are the object of that riot, severely traumatic. It was so severe that the Romans, who tended not to get that involved in events on the temple platform, actually sent in some soldiers to rescue him from being beaten to death because so severe was what was happening to Paul in terms of mob violence. And uh, it's, if you read the story in Acts, you'll see that it, Paul still, despite this, beaten up, still said, can I address the crowd? Can I speak to these people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Although he illegally assaulted, he was then held by the Roman authorities. There were assassination plots. He went then to Caesarea where he awaited trial and, and then was eventually transferred to Rome to be tried by an insane tyrant. And even that didn't go well because en route, he got shipwrecked. And so he couldn't even get the transportation right. And then he turns around and he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, while I'm waiting here, not knowing whether I'm going to be executed or not as I meet this mad tyrant who's going to try me, what I am experiencing has served to advance the gospel. Wow. Paul, do you not understand what's just happened to you? Surely you must be in a place where you're thinking, God has abandoned me. Surely you must be thinking, maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe I haven't discerned where God wanted me to be. 
But you see, Paul understood and he grasped that God had a purpose. God had a purpose in what he was experiencing. And he did not lose sight of that purpose. He was finding the purpose in the situation. You see, Paul understood that whatever we're going through, God doesn't abandon us. That whatever we're going through, God has a higher plan. Now, does that mean that God causes our circumstances? Does that mean God causes our suffering? Well, that's a massive question. Maybe you can ask God's Guinness that when he comes on May the 21st. Um, uh, what I believe the Bible teaches is not that God is the author of our sufferings, but that God is bigger than our sufferings. And so that wherever we find ourselves and in whatever situation we find ourselves, God can bring purpose and meaning out of that setback. God can bring forth something. So I don't think Paul thought that God arranged for him to be beaten up on the temple, for him to be subject to death threats, for him to suffer the degree of imprisonment and deprivation that he experienced. I don't believe he saw God doing that to him. But what he did see was that God could work in and through the situation. And so he says in verses 12 through 4, I'm sitting here in prison and I've managed to share the whole gospel with the Praetorian Guard. And the Praetorian Guard were the elite soldiers of the Roman Empire. And he's saying it's spreading amongst the imperial guards and household. And, and that's phenomenal. I think there was an opportunity here that God realized it. You see, Paul recognized and looked for the possibility. He didn't sit there and say, oh, I'm going through a hard time. It's really tough. Poor me. How can God let this happen to me? He didn't get into a pity party where he says, it's hopeless. What's the point? God hates me. This is just all too difficult. He may be experienced and thought all of these things. But in the midst of his trials, in the midst of his suffering, he looked for what God was doing. He looked for how God was drawing meaning and purpose out of his sufferings. And he was looking for the possibility that was there in that place of suffering and trial. You see, many of us, when we go through it, and I mean, I'm often culpable of this, is we kind of get into a state of manana. My life is just too chaotic. My, uh, my stress level is just too high for me to deal with any of this. I just can't deal with it. I'll, I'll, I'll just deal with the stuff I have to deal with today, and then I'll worry about all that other stuff tomorrow. But that's not how Paul did it. Paul embraced his trials. He embraced the stuff that was going on. And he affirmed and he said, God is here working. And I want to find out what he's doing. I want to find out what God is revealing to me and the possibility that this situation presents. You know, I, I, I love it when uh, I, I, I meet Christians and I've seen some Christians facing death, and you know, they've gone into hospital. And, and you've been going in to visit them and pray with them, and you're thinking, you're facing death. 
And, and you should be feeling sorry for yourself. Maybe a sense it's hopeless, what's the point? And yet what they're doing in their hospital wards is they're getting to know everybody and sharing their faith with them and affirming Christ. And you go, wow. Here I'm in the place of death and yet I'm looking for meaning and purpose. The possibility that there is. You see, that's the kind of person that Paul was. He looked for the possibility. He didn't ask, when is the time right? But where are the opportunities in what I'm experiencing right at this moment? How do I model my faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ in this situation right now? And it's sometimes hard to do that. Some of you will remember the, the Dumblane tragedy that we experienced some years ago. And, and in the midst of that tragedy for Christians, as we faced one of the most atrocious things that has happened, certainly in Scotland in recent history, was as a church and as people we were asking, how do we make our faith meaningful in the midst of a tragedy like this? What do Christians have to say? What does God have to say in the midst? And even in the situations that you're facing, and maybe you're facing unemployment, maybe you're facing family tragedies, maybe you're facing your own health issues, maybe you're facing a series of trials, the question is, what is God's purpose? And what is God trying to reveal about himself? And how does my faith pertain to this. You see, if your faith is only pertinent when things are going well, when you feel blessed, when everything's going right, when you've got that promotion, when you've got that pay rise, when everybody likes you, then actually that kind of faith is not the type of biblical faith that Paul encourages us to practice. Paul wants a faith that is pertinent when actually we experience the trials and the hardship of life. In fact, he even suggests in these first two verses that it is in the midst of these situations that the gospel of God is advanced as we apply our faith in these situations. The other thing he mentions, and it's a theme actually we see reiterated a couple of times in the passage that we read, is that when we develop this mindset, we escape the fear of what might happen. We escape the fear of what might happen. You know, a lot of us are brought into a place of paralysis when we face trials because we're scared of what might happen. And, 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 and fear holds us. And so because we're afraid, we never realize the possibilities. We think, oh, well, if I affirm the gospel in my present situation, will people think I'm arrogant? Will people think I'm proud? Will people think I'm being overly spiritual? Will people think I'm in a state of denial and need to go and see a therapist so I can deal with the reality of my situation? You see, fear becomes a paralysis, so we do nothing. We never realize the possibilities, and we never see the purpose that God has in what he is putting us through at this moment. Paul realized this. He said, you know, what I'm going through brings possibilities, possibilities for advancing the gospel. The second thing that we see Paul doing in terms of the way that he approaches his trials is he looks at 
the positives. In verse 15 through 18, he explains that there are people preaching the gospel from envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. And, and the inference is that they're doing this for some reason to get at him. We don't exactly know why or how they're getting at him. Uh, and uh, maybe the suggestion is that Paul somehow isn't preaching effectively. And uh, this is the true gospel and Paul's isn't the true gospel or something else. As I say, we don't really know what is going on. But as he looks at this, he could focus on the negatives. He could focus on the situation that there are facts that envy and rivalry and selfishness are being expressed in the church. And he could get so bogged down in that. Look at the negatives. Look at all this stuff that is happening that he forgets the positives. And as you read that passage, you see what he says? He says, although this is going on, you know what? The gospel is being preached. <laughs> and he says, even if it is from wrong motives, even if it is driven because people want to slight me, even if it's because of these negative factors, the gospel is still preached. And he sees the positive. You see, sometimes we miss so much of what God is doing, what God is wanting to do in our lives, what God is wanting to do in our world, what God is wanting to do in our society. Because we get so focused on the negatives, we miss what God is doing. One of the, the disciplines that, um, uh, that I remember as a young Christian being encouraged to engage in was at the end of the day, to write down the things that you could thank God for in that day. And you know what? No matter how bad the day was, no matter how rubbish the situation was, there was always something that you could thank God for. And what Paul did was he let the positive set the agenda, not the negative. You know, how often do we allow the negative to set the agenda? How often do we let, not the positive things that God is doing, but the negative things and the perception of those negative things determine how we respond and react to a situation? You know, the Scots are famous. Some of you might remember Dad's Army. And, uh, and one of my favorite characters in Dad's Army was the Scotsman who walked around going, we're doomed, we're doomed. <laughs> and, and every situation, we're doomed, we're doomed. He reminded me sometimes of people I knew. And, and the thing here is that that is not what Paul models. And you know, and I know we have a cultural heritage that we maybe have to continue to uphold. But to be driven by the negative is contrary to what Paul is modeling here. It is contrary to developing robust mental health. It is contrary to seeing the gospel advance and work as Paul is demonstrating here. We have to look at the positives. Third thing then that we see Paul doing. In verse 21, he says, you know, I, verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die 
is gain. Paul affirms what some social commentators have called a win-win situation here. He's actually seeing that no matter what happens here, there's a win. And, and, uh, and, and again, that's, that's a difficult kind of mentality to develop. But for some people to lose their job is like the worst thing that could ever happen. For other people, it's like the best thing that could ever happen. But Paul has a mentality which is like, if I keep my job or I lose my job, it's still a win. Because you know there are good things about keeping that job and there are bad things about losing that job. But equally... There are bad things about keeping that job, and there are good things about losing that job. And he develops this mentality, and, and, and he develops it at the heart of human existence. He says, you know, if I live, I live for Christ. But if I die, I gain. I live for Christ. And so every moment, every breath is actually a win because I am living for Christ. Some of you will know the golfer, Bernard Langer. He was a very successful golfer uh, 20 odd uh, years ago. And, and he is a committed Christian. And he said this, the lifestyle we, especially as sportsmen, are leading is all about money and who you are and who you know and what you have. And those things aren't really the most important things. I think the people who have these things, they realize that even when they have achieved all the goals they want to achieve, and they have all the money they want, the cars and the home, there is still something missing in their life. I believe that is Jesus Christ. <laughs> to live is Christ. But you know what? To die is gain. I'm not going to lose here because God is on my side. And so whatever happens, there is something that I accrue in terms of God's work in my life. You know, some of us have to have that mentality to say to live is Christ. The reason many of us are filled with fear is because we don't live in the way that Paul lived. We don't live with that affirmation that to live is for Christ and to die it's for gain. And so we're filled with fear. Paul, in the final section of these verses, goes on to talk about this. He says, you know, when you develop this mentality, then you can, you can conduct yourself in a way that reflects the gospel. When you develop this mentality, you will stand firm. You will contend side by side. There are all these analogies, military analogies that we don't have time to look at. But, but and he says, finally, you will not be intimidated. You will not fear the future. Why? Because whatever the future holds, God is bigger than that future. Whatever the future brings, God will bring out the positives in the midst of the negatives and allow those positives to direct you. Whatever the future brings, remember that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so don't be marked by fear of the future, but be marked by a hope and a sense of purpose and what the purpose of the gospel that God is calling his people to. Model this. And people will see Christ. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words and the challenge of the Apostle Paul. Lord, Lord, we pray that we will model the same mental patterns that Paul modeled. Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of purpose in the midst of what we are going through. Lord, help us not defer the sense of seeking out your purpose and meaning in whatever we're going through at this moment. Lord, help us to recognize your hand and the positives even in the midst of suffering. And Lord, help us to embody and to demonstrate to others an attitude which says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Amen.